0: I did not select the gospel text for today of the scene of the Mount on Transfiguration with Jesus, Peter, James, John, and the gang, but instead the prequel. Important things happen on the mountaintop, as we'll also see when one comes down from the mountain. Listen to these words from Exodus chapter 24, verse 12 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there. I'll give you the stone tablets and with the instructions and with the commandments that I've written in order to teach them. So Moses and his assistant Joshua got up, and Moses went up God's mountain. Moses had said to the elders, Wait for us here until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur will be here with you. Whoever has a legal dispute may go to them. Then when Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain, the Lord's gracious presence settled on the Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from the cloud. To the Israelites, the Lord's glorious presence looked like a blazing fire on top of the mountain. Moses entered the cloud and went up the mountain. Moses stayed on the mountain for 40 days and forty nights. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Frederick Beekner, in his book *Peculiar Treasures*, writes about Moses in the following way: Whenever Hollywood cranks out a movie about Moses, they always give the part to somebody like Charlton Heston with some fake whiskers glued on. The truth of it is, he probably looked a a lot more like Tevye the Milkman after 10 rounds with Muhammad Ali. Moses up there on the mountain with his sore feet and aching back serves as a good example of the fact that when God puts the finger on people, their troubles have just begun. Hunkered down in the cleft of a rock, Moses had been allowed to see the glory itself passing by, and and although all God let him see was the back part, It was something to hold on to for the rest of his life. Mountaintop experiences in our faith journey become those moments of revelation that give us something to hold on to for the rest of our lives. That certainly is the kind of experience Moses had on Mount Sinai and the kind of experience Jesus, I think, must have had with Peter, James, and John and the story of that Mount Transfiguration. Any experience experience in which we recognize the sacred can be transforming, or one could say transfiguring. It may take place on the peak of a mountain, in moments of extreme joy, when we encounter the holy, or the sacred may sweep over us as we watch over a loved one, as the life support machines are disconnected, and we realize in that fleeting moment just how precious life truly is. It can happen in the midst of a worship service like this where God becomes dramatically real to us through the power of community and we catch a vision for something or someone bigger than ourselves. So as we celebrate this Transfiguration Sunday, let us consider some spiritual lessons from the mountaintop, if you will, the place where amazing things often happen in the scriptures as well as in our own lives if we're paying attention. Let us consider first the lasting value of mountaintop revelations. Now, you have to understand, to the ancient Hebrew mind, there was something mystical about mountaintops. Such places, you see, were associated with God's dwelling place. The cosmology of the Bible was that of ancient times, which saw the earth as a flat plain floating on a bed of water and protected from more water overhead by a dome-shaped thing they called the firmament, or sky, and beyond the firmament and the water it held back from falling onto earth was heaven, as they figured things, and there was the throne of God. And so, with that ancient three storied tier view of the universe, it was only natural that mountaintops would achieve mystical and special significance. For both Moses, receiving the Ten Commandments atop Mount Sinai, and Jesus, Receiving the blessing of God on the Mount of Transfiguration, the experience was one that shaped not only their own future, but that of the people of God's story for years to come. Mountaintop experiences have that kind of lasting effect on those who experience them. There was once a father and a son as the story goes, who had achieved a really good relationship with each other. Among their many good times together, one experience stood out to both of them above all others. It was a hike up a particular mountain where they seemed to reach the height also of a beautiful relationship. And after they had returned home, there inevitably came a day when things did not seem to run quite as smoothly, shall we say. The father rebuked the son, and the son spoke sharply back at the father, An hour later, the air between the father and son had cleared. Dad, said the boy, whenever it starts to get like that again between us, let's remind one another of that wonderful day we had on the mountain. So it was agreed, and in a few weeks, another misunderstanding occurred, and the boy was sent to his room, this time in tears, and after a while, the father decided to go up and see the boy. He was still angry until he saw a piece of paper pinned to the door as he approached it. The boy had penciled two words in large letters, the mountain. That symbol was powerful enough to restore the relationship between the father and son, and it caused them both to remember the moments where they were kinder to one another and closer to one another. That is the nature of mountaintop experiences. They have a lasting value which shapes our lives for years to come through our relationships to God and one another. For Moses... And for Jesus, they did not forget what happened on those mountaintops, for there they felt close to the sacred and experienced a certain feeling of empowerment to lead others who were entrusted to their care closer to all that is holy. A second lesson that comes out of Moses' experience on the mountaintop is the element of mystery which always seems to accompany such revelations. Our modern world is actually quite intolerant of mystery. Ours is an age which is obsessed with the idea of knowing and explaining everything, and there's a time and a place for all of that. But a story is told of a little boy whose father expressed the usual before dinner command, hurry up and wash your hands and come to prayers. And as the boy went to the bathroom, he was heard to mutter, germs and Jesus, germs and Jesus, that's all I hear around here, and I can't see either one of them. But you see, the sacred always comes to us in surprising, mysterious ways. And if we're too busy looking for evidence, we'll miss what's right under our nose. The revelation we receive is not always immediately clear or unambiguous. If it were, there'd be no need for holy imagination or for faith. Moses on the mountain alone with God reminds us that we may never fully understand the ways the divine breaks into our lives, nor can we judge others' mountaintop experiences by our own experiences. For some, God may become more real in a magnificent manifestation on a mountaintop, while for others, it might only be a whisper within that brings them more fully into being the best version of themselves, or experiencing just enough courage To do the next right thing. In almost all occasions in the Bible where people experience the sacred, there's a mention of a cloud, interestingly enough. Now, in Jewish thought, the cloud, or Shekinah, was this age old symbol of the divine presence. So Moses sees God, as we're told in this story, in the cloud. It was a cloud that led people of, the people of God through the wilderness. It was a cloud that filled the temple after Solomon had built it. At the ascension, it, it, Jesus is received up into a cloud, which signified that he'd been taken up in, closer into the presence of God. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter experiences an overwhelming sense of what theologians call the mysterium tremendum. It was that mysterious and yet wondrous experience in the clouds that eased Peter's mind and gave him the courage to preach and inspire a movement following Jesus in those early days of the Christian church. Thirdly, in almost all accounts of mountaintop experiences in the Bible, those who have the experience face the temptation of wanting to cling to that mountaintop moment forever. You know... If we could just bottle that stuff, we say. It's a tragedy, however, when people stop and build upon one experience for the rest of their lives, assuming they have experienced the best inspiration, that they have learned all that they need to learn. There are those whose understanding of God, because of this phenomenon, has never progressed beyond the now I lay me down to sleep stage. Conversely, There are those who have rejected religion in their formative years because of some terrible theology or teaching along the way, or because of an unfortunate experience with a pastor or a parent or a priest or a Sunday school teacher, and they put the freeze on their own spiritual history right there where they were in that moment, and their minds become closed to the possibility that there might be an adult faith. So they halt any new experiences because they've ruled out there is anything bigger at play in the universe than what they already have experienced or know. Now I am dating myself a little bit here, but there used to be a series of TV commercials where a group of friends were all sitting around a campfire. And usually, it seems like there was a clean, clear mountain stream rushing nearby. And usually a skillet filled with fish and a tub filled with old Milwaukee. And one of the friends would lean over and say to the others, you know, it just doesn't get any better than this. Now, we've all had those kind of experiences where we've thought that or said that to ourselves or someone else. You know, everything is just right. It just simply cannot get any better. We want to hang on to that moment. We want to live on that mountaintop forever. We want to take a never-ending victory lap. The problem is that the God we discover on the mountaintop is a God who is always on the move. The sacred is never stationed Permanently in one place. Therefore, we too must remain mobile in our journey of faith. Moments where things come together and we enjoy the intersection of our own hard work and courage in chasing after faith or chasing after strength or chasing after a vision, they're important just as moments of intense emotion are important in a marriage. But you cannot build a marriage, for example, upon those moments alone nor can we build all of our faith on the memory of one great moment way back there in life. God calls us forward into the future, and that usually means down from the mountain to meet the challenges that await us in the next valley. Mountaintops, well, they're for inspiration. They're for strength and vision. But the valleys, the valleys are actually where the work gets done, and we need both. Ernest Hemingway once wrote a book about his early days as a writer in Paris, and he titled the book, A Movable Feast. In 1950, he wrote, If you are lucky enough to have lived in Paris as a young man, then wherever you go for the rest of your life, it stays with you, for Paris is a movable feast. So, I don't know about Paris, but the sense of the sacred, the presence of God, if you prefer, Is a movable feast. Even when we leave the mountaintop, we do not leave the holy behind. A fourth lesson that we can discern from Moses' experiences on Mount Sinai is the urgency with which he is compelled to head back down the mountain with a stone tablet under each arm. Every genuine encounter with the sacred turns out to be an urgent call to get to work when we get to the foot of the mountain. There are real human needs that need to be met at the foot of the mountain. There is a world desperately in need of a vision bigger than themselves or the touch of someone who's had a vision that compels, that connects, and who wants to share it. Real, faithful living is not just about what happens on the mountaintop or in the sanctuary to put it that way, but it is ultimately about what we do when we leave this place for the other six days and 23 hours each week that we spend elsewhere. A few years ago, a new pastor was called to a neighboring church in one community, and the local newspaper was supposed to have announced the installation of Dr. Jones as pastor of First Baptist Church. But instead, the paper printed in bold headline, The Insulation of Dr. Jones as pastor of First Baptist Church. Now, many people prefer insulation to installation when it comes to doing the real work set before us as people of faith. Sometimes living as a faithful person amidst the squabbles and the complaints and the pettiness and the the pain of life in the real world is less than glamorous, Nevertheless, we are called to share our vision for the way things could be, all the while doing the hard, messy work to help make it a reality outside the safety of the church in a world starving for love and starving for justice. I believe it was Cornel West that said, never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. When Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was doing research for her famous book on death and dying, she met a woman who was a member of the cleaning staff in a very large hospital. This woman spent her days cleaning floors, emptying wastebaskets, and tidying up patients' rooms. the hospital staff, however, they began to notice that each time this woman finished cleaning the room of a dying patient, well, that person was invariably more content and more at peace. The woman explained to Dr. Kubler-Ross that she had known a lot of fear and a lot of tragedy in her own life, as well as good times when others helped her feel very loved. She had been up the mountain, poked her head into a cloud of smoke, and she had been down the mountain back to the valley. The worst time was when her three year old son was ill with pneumonia. She brought him to the public health clinic, and her three year old son died in her arms while she waited her turn to see a physician. She said to Kubler Ross, You see, doctor, the dying patients are like old acquaintances to me, and I'm not afraid to touch them or to talk to them or to show them that they're loved because life is too short and too fragile not to. And the hospital decided to promote this woman, and they gave her the honorary title, and this is a true story, Special Counselor to the Dying. And is that not the call of God to each and every one of us? To be special counselors to the dying? Because whether we like it or not, we're all on our way. We must always be paying attention for those holy moments, those things, when things just seem to come together. But we also cannot stay on the mountaintop forever, for there are so many lives to be touched right here in the valley, in the muck, and the mire, with all the griping and the, 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 the grind of everyday life. So this is the most important lesson from the mountaintop, We rely on moments of inspiration to get us through years of purpose-filled perspiration. Thanks be to God for the mountains and the valleys. We need them both. Amen.